Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's <a> great. <laughs> Just so you know, there are also, the idea here is that there are other people listening too. Okay. Right. So, but I was, so I was saying hello to them. Okay. Hey. But, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you were saying hello to them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Just clarifying. All right. We're we're saying hello. We're saying hello. I love. Okay. Great. Beautiful. So hello from Hevria uh, Cast Alad Naharai and uh, go ahead. Aton Press. Aton Press. Um, Chief Beard Anointer of Alf Mail. <laughs> That's great. Very quick. You know, it's interesting because something I I like. That you were trained and ready to go with the with the plug, you know, because sometimes you have to drag a plug out of someone. Mm-hmm. But you were you were ready to go. I mm-hmm. love that. You know, it's 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 a hat. But Elon, I'm sorry. Like I just remember being in my note with you in 2008, <laughs> and it is such a trip that it's now November of 2017, Movember, but November <laughs> of yeah. 2017, and we're sitting here in New York City. In excuse me, you're like you're Hevria. He- podcast headquarters <laughs> and i'm just really an honor to be here and thank you thank you so much wow i mean it's true it's really mind-blowing um you know did we did we see each other that much when i was living in israel because i was like what was it seven years ago or something like that seven eight years ago as in we i think we saw each other in passing like a we as in there. we saw each other in yeshiva every day yeah. in yeshiva yeah we saw each other a lot but but not when you were living in yeah israel. i think cuz i was just so busy and stuff but anyway yeah. so so it's yeah so it's even crazier mm-hmm. is my point because it's been like a really long amount of time since we Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of one of the interesting things in terms of i remember you you put up a post about how there's some people who you don't see for a really long time and then all of a sudden like you encounter them and it's like it's sort of like a zoom in mm. and there's like this intense connection wow. and then there's a zoom out mm. if you get what i mean uh what's the zoom it, out part it, meaning that and then you don't, might not see them or speak interact with them again for a while Oh, I see. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. It was specifically like you were going somewhere, or you were working on some sort of project. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember on Facebook, it's like you put out like a thing. Yeah. I post oh. a lot, so I don't remember yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were on some sort of journey where you needed to like connect with people who in a place you hadn't been in a while, and then like mm. all of a sudden, it's like you connected with all these different people. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I remember once posting about how I was doing like an invite for like a Facebook page or something. And it was back when you had to like really click on each person's name. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being like a really powerful experience because I was like going through every single one of my friends that I had collected on Facebook over time. And it was like, oh, this person and that person. And like, because when you, yeah, it's like you're saying, when you move on, unless there's some sort of regular being in touch, which is actually kind of the magic of Facebook. But in general, we tend to even on Facebook move mm-hmm. on with people. So we... There, it's almost like in a weird way. It's like they didn't exist. Or they don't like, or they don't exist in the present. You know, you know? and 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 that actually for me is the thing that um, I love about Shabbos, uh-huh. right? Because one of the, one of the questions that I I ask myself because since I've been a little kid, like I've kind of been, um, you know, I grew up at the end of the Cold War, uh-huh. right? So I used to like have dreams about World War Three. <laughs> 
right? And, you know, and so there's always the question, like, what would happen if we had no electricity? What would happen if the internet went down? Mm. What would happen if there was no satellite communication, right? And the question is, would I know my neighbors? Mm. Mm-hmm. What I know the people living across the street from me, right? In terms of people disappearing. Right. But because of Shabbos, <laughs> right? I know so many of the people who actually live on my street and in my neighborhood because I'm connecting to them without electricity, in a mm-hmm. sense, without phones, without the whole social network, because I'm, I'm connecting to them in, in real life over Shabbos. Yeah. And it, and it creates a whole other level of, of human interaction. Wow. That's really true. That's really interesting. It's funny because I'm such a hermit, like in my, when, whenever I can be, I try to be a hermit. Like, cause, um, I think I just, uh, they, they, there's this idea that introverts there, it's not that they don't like interacting with people, but it's that they gain energy from being alone. Right. And they, they get drained by being with other people. No offense. No, actually, I, <laughs> but. I think I can't figure out if I'm an introverted extrovert or, yeah. or, or an extroverted introvert, but right. I'm also the same way that there's a part of me that just like needs to be alone. Right. Solitude. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Mm. So what's right? the difference? Isolation is often connected to feelings of alienation mm. where it's like I'm alone and I'm isolated from the world and there could be like a sense of abandonment. Right. Right. Versus it's like sol- a state of mind. Exactly. Of. Versus solitude right. in which you also might be alone, except you don't have an experience of feeling lonely right. or isolated. You actually have a feeling of fullness, of solitude, of, of being full in, in the experience of yourself. Well, that's really interesting because you now <laughs> made me feel uh, in a good way, like a little ashamed of my, uh, like, because sometimes I get like, my attitude is like, oh, I'm sick of people. Like I need to, I need to be alone, you know, I need to be, but the idea is really the reason that I'm sick of them or sick of being around people is because I'm blessed to be around people, to be, to not feel alone, to not feel that sense of uh, isolation. isolation, right? Um, so that's really interesting. I think that's really helpful for me, actually, is like to see these things as like the negative is 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 partly because of the positive, you know. Yeah, the light and shadow always come together. I know you have stuff to say about that. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but before we do, this is all great. I don't mean to break the uh, the role we're on here, but I'm curious uh, if you could tell me. I'm I'm actually. Uh, very curious because I, I know about your beard bomb, um, Aleph Male, which you so uh, so expertly pitched at the beginning. But I would love to hear more about the story behind it because I know I know you. Uh, I mean, I know you from however long ago, but I, I know I just remember and I, I even see it on Facebook your energy mm-hmm. and your positivity and your vision. And you were always one of the things that always struck me was. I always felt like you were looking for a project, like a thing, like that would, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, mm-hmm. and I mean that in a, in a positive way. That I could way. pour myself into. Right, exactly. That seems to be like you needed a place to like really channel your energy. And so you were, wor- I remember you working at, um, what's it called? Voice the, of Israel. Voice of Israel, but also what was the thing after Voice of Israel? Uh, you, uh, well, United with Israel and then United Hatzalah of Israel. Right, Hatzalah. So I remember that also being like yeah. a thing you're really pouring yourself, like everything that you do, you really pour your, a lot of your heart into like oil, 
right? <laughs> Perfect transition. So I'm curious how I'm, I'm, I'm happy in my opinion. I'm very happy to see you doing something that's yours because to me, I always kind of felt like that would happen eventually with you, like something that's really yours. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels really good. And it was kind of something that just happened organically. I was working for United Hotel of Israel. Organically. Literally organically. <laughs> um, wait, so one second, before we get into that, I just actually should be, why don't you tell us what it is? First? Okay. So, so basically, um, Aleph Mail is a Jewish lifestyle brand and our central product as of now is a beard bomb. And basically on the most simple, practical level, it's made from coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, beeswax, um, vitamin E oil, and different different aromatherapy oils. Um, And it's centered around the Jewish story of the beard and Jewish culture. So in terms of the scents, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the Havdalah scent, which is cinnamon and cloves. There's the Sukkot scent, which is based on the four species, which is made with Hadass oil. Um, Etrog oil is like $114 for one ounce. So I use lemon and lemongrass instead, but it still gets like the bouquet and then a little bit of mint. Um, the cedar blend, which is cedar oil, and then also the Boker Tov blend, which is lavender, cedar, and bergamot, which are just like three powerhouse aromatherapy oils. Um, and basically the idea is that you put it, you anoint your beard, you don't put it in your beard. And so much of what Aleph Mel is about is really the, bringing back the concept of anointing. Um, you anoint your beard and it makes it look awesome, smell heavenly, and feel really, really good. And it controls frizz. And it's basically like a male grooming, chassid, hipster, dapper accessory mm. that um, is infused with kavana to bring Mashiach. Wow. Uh, to bring Mashiach. I love that. That's a good way to end it. Wow. Okay. Um, so what... So okay, so now let's. I'm, now I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. How did it? How did, how did it, it start? get started? Yeah. Um, so so basically, it got started because I. It got started really a lot. <laughs> it got started when I was a boy. All right. And I had the question: so What is it? Go through your life story. What does it mean yeah. to be a man? That's really how it got started. But we're not going to go there. By the way, that was the most Aton answer in the world. That yeah. was great. Right. Yeah, I have like I, I have ADD, so somebody asks <laughs> me like, you know, a question and then it's like, "Oh, I associate that from to like subject Q5." So uh-huh. I'll just shout that out. Okay. But um You sure you don't want to tell us that part, the prequel? It, it it's definitely well, it's definitely part of it, but I think we'll get there in terms of just like what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a Jewish man? Masculinity, boylinity? Okay. Right. Um, as I, mean, in, I never I, heard that before. I, I, it's a, it's a, I think that's a term that I coined, which is that a lot of times men don't actually feel like men. They feel like boys, Interesting. even if they're biologically men. So it's like boylinity. It's not masculinity. It's like it hasn't hit that point yet. It's more like boylinity. Like I still psychologically feel like a boy. Mm. Um, so anyway. You're but, saying that in a positive way or in a negative way? Um, I think it, I, th- I think it's in a neutral way, actually. It's just sort okay. of it is what it is. It's like, do I... Is it like a stage? Like you go through boilinity and then some people get the masculinity or it's like... I actually think it's more like a, a liquid thing. Okay. Like, I mean, sometimes I meet like 12-year-old boys that are just incredibly mature. Right, right. You know, and then you meet 45-year-old men who are, right. you know, acting like three-year-olds. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> it kind of sounds like a judgment. <laughs> yeah. No, but but boy, no, but boy, but you know what? Let's not, let's not get too into it now because I'll just get it. So, so yeah. basically the way Sorry, Aleph Mail got started is um, I was in Uman last year. 
And I always, like a lot of times I did the lazy man's beard, where at least for the Jewish guy, which is basically I kept my hair and my beard the same length. So I just had the same guard on my razor mm. and I would just trim my whole beard, trim my hair, and then everything was done. You get what I'm saying? Wow. And then sometimes I would, as in I make a difference between, a distinction between bearding versus not shaving. Okay. So the, there would be times where I was not shaving, and so therefore a beard was growing on my face, but I wasn't actually bearding. I wasn't actually growing a beard. I just was not shaving. Right. Right. And then you can like internally make it that switch of like all of a sudden I'm growing my beard. Like it's it's not that I'm not shaving anymore. I'm actually growing my beard. Right. And so basically, I was in Uman, um, you know, at the um, over Rosh Hashanah at the kever of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, Uman Uman Rosh Hashanah, and um, and there was this dude there with this big flaming red beard, like this huge red beard. And it was like on fire. And I was like, I am that guy, but I'm afraid to be that guy. <laughs> oh, wow. Like I, I am that guy. And really it does connect to like the archetype of the wild man. Mm. And what does it mean to, to grow a beard? And which in a certain sense has to do with leaving something on your face, which is not um, manicured mm. by civilization. Um, and, uh, and so I decided to start growing my beard and I was working for United Hetzalah of Israel and, um, and I just like wanted, I was working in a professional office and I wanted to keep up my professional appearance. And so I was like, how, this thing is, this thing is going out of hand, growing out of hand. How do I, you know, how do I get under control? Yeah. And so I started making my own beard oil, you know, went onto Google, went onto YouTube, started making my own beard oil, started making my own beard bomb. Um, this was in like... Let's see, probably like March of 2016, something like that. Um, and then, um, and then one thing led to another, and uh, an Aleph male was born. Well, it's interesting. What is it? It's like reminds me of the Seinfeld thing, where like the yada yada is the most interesting part. Ah, so what, okay. What was so the, what was the one thing that led to another? Like, yeah. How did you go from all right? I'm doing this for myself to like okay, this is like because you. You know, at least from what I see on mm -hmm. Facebook, this is like your. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you want to bring Mashiach with us. So, 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 yeah, I, I do. And actually, on that, at that note, let's just like jump into that. So, so much of what the Aleph male brand is about is not just the beard bomb, but the culture around the beard bomb. As I said, it's like a Jewish lifestyle brand. And so, then, what is the lifestyle of the Aleph male? Well, the lifestyle of the Aleph male is connected to Jewish sacred masculinity. And what is Jewish sacred masculinity? It's basically connecting to um, like the archetypes. Mm -hmm. of how we as Jewish men actualize our potential, right? Um, and just as an example, uh, for instance, like one of, one of the main archetypes that is discussed when like men discuss actualizing themselves is the archetype of the alpha male, right? And unfortunately, the alpha male is very much associated with being at the top of a pyramid in which everybody else is below you and you're pushing them down. And it's this sort of tooth and nail doggy dog metaphor, even though that's not an actually accurate um, depiction of what the alpha male is in wolf tribes. Actually, the alpha male in like wolf packs is actually much more caring. But in terms of the social parlance of how it's used, that's generally not how people think about it, right? It really is this sort of guy who goes out and Get stuff, you know. Um, and so in terms of archetypes, the archetype that actually is connected to the alpha male 
in Judaism and in terms of this whole concept of like archetypes of Jewish sacred masculinity that that as we examine these archetypes we can begin to see the story of masculinity within Judaism as well as the story of the beard which is a very different narrative like if you go onto Instagram or you go onto Facebook and you look at the narratives the, that the content around a lot of beard oil and beard bomb brands is creating it very much has to do with kind of like sex drugs rock and roll kind of mm. like you know it's like very much based on like physicality if that makes sense right i mean i've noticed those they tend to be kind of humorously joking about how like i mean i don't know i i I know this area a lot less than you do but from what i've seen they seem to be like kind of humorously playing on the idea that they're more manly than people without beards sure and also that they're more attractive to women Uh and that you know there's like there's there's a whole thing that they're the alpha male right right, in a sense right um which which is you know in contrast to the aleph male um, which is, you know, the Jewish beard culture, which is really, you know, in my map about being of service. But basically the way you can see this within Jewish archetypes, right, is if you take a look at Asaf, mm-hmm. right? Because right now, you know, we're just, we're getting into Toldos, Toldos Yaakov, Parsha Toldos, right? And we're getting into the story of Yaakov and Asaf, right? And they say that Asaf was a man of the field, that he was born hairy, that he was a hunter, mm-hmm. Right, the Midrash says. I heard this from from Avi Silmer Silver that he was born with teeth, so he didn't even need to suckle at his mother's breast. Right. So, what does the alpha male connect to? Well, there's this concept. So he was like the alpha male. He was the alpha male. He yeah. didn't need anything from anybody. Right. Right. He was he he was in control all the time. He was dominating all the time. You know, he was like getting his piece of pie all the time. He was getting his wives when he wanted his wives because he's Asav. He's the alpha male, right? right? You know, and, 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 you know, he's got his teeth that he was born with, um, <laughs> you know, but, okay. but, but really what this is connected to is actually um, in like a, a concept that I heard in, in men's work. So I basically also, so just quick jumping into like a biographical sketch. I went to St. John's college in Annapolis, Maryland. It's the great books program. Uh, we didn't talk we didn't, um, we didn't have textbooks and we didn't have teachers. We studied the great books of Western civilization, starting with Homer and the Iliad and working our way through Plato and Aristotle, all the way up through Kant and Hegel and Einstein and Faraday. And it's basically seeing how ideas change civilization. And so within that context, um, I basically graduated in 2000 and then at that point in my life got really into men's work and became part of the new warriors um, circle and the mankind project and was initiated into this international men's circle of men doing inner work. And that was really the first place that I got in touch with this concept of archetypes. Um, And there's actually a famous book, um, called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, which is based on Jungian archetypes, um, which was written by, bear with me for one second, um, it was written by Robert L. Moore and Doug Gillette. And basically that book influenced me deeply in beginning to explore Jewish masculine archetypes within Judaism because they were coming from a Jungian perspective, but where do we see this in in the Jewish perspective, Mm -hmm. right? But anyway, jumping back to that whole... um, that whole idea of Asav as the alpha male, Mm -hmm. right? So there's a concept that I learned in men's work that women are sex objects and men are success objects. Mm -hmm. 
that in the same way violence, that's what society yes in the same way violence is done upon women's being by objectifying them into these images of attractiveness and desirability and that who they are and what they think and what they feel doesn't matter and they're this one dimensional cutout so too men are objectified as success objects in which they have to know and be in control and never be weak and never cry and never be vulnerable because they need to succeed all the time and if you've ever watched um, Japanimation mm-hmm. there's this classic Japanimation movie called The Fist of the North Star. It's one of like the first way back in like, I believe like the seventies, eighties, like Japanimation, right? And and when the hero is introduced in, in the cartoon, the way he's introduced, and you can watch this on YouTube, it's like, I believe like the, the name is like the most badass anime intro or something like that. Mm-hmm. But basically the, the hero of the movie is is walking towards a, a girl who he needs to save. This little girl like cries out because she needs to get saved and then enter the hero. And how does the hero come in? Well, you see that what looks like this big stone golem and he's walking forward and there are these buildings falling on top of him and as they fall on top of him they're knocking the stone off until you see this huge muscular man walking right and then he starts breaking the buildings with his face like the buildings are falling on his face and he's breaking them with his face and this is what it means to be a man (laughs) right you know and and that is sort of that alpha male success object um in told to an absurd extreme but this is the message little boys are getting and it's really, really crazy. Like if you want to talk about toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. it's not good if, if these are the messages of, of we're telling, we're telling boys, this is what it means to be a man. Right. But so what is Yaakov? If we go into this alpha male, alpha male dynamics, then you have Yaakov, right? So Yaakov was a man of the tents, mm. right? Yaakov was like hanging out, learning in the tents of shame and aver. Right. And so much of what Yaakov's life was about was his relationship with Hashem. Right. And, and, and really there's a, there's a great Rashi um, that when Yaakov is sending treasures ahead of him, um, when he's finally um, about to meet Esau after being in exile for so many years, he sends him wave upon waves of, you know, of, of goats and sheep and all these different offerings to his brother, right? And he sends ahead of, ahead of them Malachim, right? And Rashi says, Malachim Mamish. And I heard from Rav Daniel Cohen in Bat Ayin that what, what, is it, what does Rashi mean when he's saying Malachim Mamish? He's saying that, listen, Esau, both you and I are wealthy. We both have wealth, right? But the source of your wealth Right? And the source of my wealth are coming from totally different places. That the source of my wealth comes from receiving, Right. And like, there's actually an amazing story from Rabbi David Aaron, um, in the old city where he talks about how his first lesson in Kabbalah, he, like the rabbi called him to the front of the room and held out an apple and, um, and Rabbi David Aaron reached for the apple and the rabbi pulled it away. And then he held out the apple again. And so Rabbi David Aaron reached for it again. And then he pulled the apple away again. And then he held that out a third time and he's like, okay, (laughs) what am I going to do? And so this time he opened his hand. And he re- and then the rabbi dropped the apple in his hand. Wow! Right, and so it's like Kabbalah means to receive. Yaakov Avinu received. Right, an angel went ahead of him to say that everything that Yaakov had existed in relationship to creation and in relationship to the other, and that is so much of what the Aleph male is about. And really, if you even look at Tehillim, for instance, one of the most famous Tehillim, right, is um, Tehillim. Bear with me one second. Um, it 
is, you know, how good it, how good and pleasant it is when brothers sit together in peace, mm. right? Um, it's, so yeah. This was, this was, this was, okay, so this was philosophically what was going through your head when you were in the, uh, what were you saying, one thing led to another, right? Yeah, this, that is, was, this is part of the one thing that led to another in terms of the creation of a Jewish lifestyle brand. Okay. Right, that, that it's not just a beard bomb, it's a Jewish lifestyle brand and that there's a rich heritage of masculinity, Mm-hmm. within Judaism and the Jewish people, which is a very different paradigm. And, and the story of the beard is a very different story that we anointed, you know, Aaron Hakohen's beard, you know, David Amelech prayed, you know, in Psalm 104, that the, that the anointing oil would never leave his head. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this anointing also has to do with drawing down that the beard actually represents the 13 attributes of mercy, Alpi Kabbalah and Hasidut in Judaism. Right. So, you know, the 13 attributes of mercy that we pray over and over on Yom Kippur that, you know, that we're merciful, that we're patient, that we're kind. Mm -hmm. Right. This is what it means to be a man according to the beard, you know, (laughs) um, in the Jewish tradition. And that's a totally different story. Wow. Interesting. So I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but I'm very curious about... I'm still, I don't see, I still don't see the steps for you personally, where you. I mean, on the most the... practical level, you know, I call myself a strategic digital storyteller mm-hmm. um, in January of uh, 2017. So almost last year, I um, like in a, in a really positive way, transitioned out of United Hatzal of Israel. I'm still, you know, friends with them, drop in the office um, and started my own career as a freelance strategic digital storyteller, social media consulting, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I said, you, you know what, like, I just was itching to start something and grow something myself. And, and I had this, this beard bomb that I was making for myself. And I said, you want to know what? Like, I really think a lot of other men would benefit a lot from this, you know? And so I want to turn this into a business. And I already had spent so many years doing branding and content marketing for other brands. So I said, well, why don't I just do it for my brand and see what happens? You know, and here we are. Wow. Yeah, and, and it's it's just interesting to me. I guess the reason I keep I keep going back was that, to that bad, did that get into it a little bit more? Yes, I'm still curious. By the way, A-Lot, about, A-Lot, yeah. peel the layers, man. Let's do like, it. Like eviscerate it. me. All right, fine. Okay. So la- so I'll keep going then. Okay, love it. So okay, what? So what was the philosophical connection made while you were on your own, like doing your own thing, or was it something that you started to create as you were? Uh, um, building. it was, it was definitely something I'll tell you the first time that I started doing this in terms of like how it actually developed in terms of like, just like the concept of anointing, for instance, the hashtag is anoint your beard. Right. right? So basically me and my boy, Calm and Sweetwine were hanging out in Boulder, Colorado in 2006, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person who showed me how before Shabbos and Yom Tov, he took a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of essential oil and would put it in his beard. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was where the first concept of the first time the concept of anointing came in. And then for years after that, almost, almost nine years, very, very often before Shabbat, I would take a little bit of oil and a little bit of essential oils, usually lavender oil. So I'd take the olive oil and the lavender oil, mix it together and put it in my beard. Mm. You know, that was even before the, the, and I didn't even think of it as beard oil. Mm. I just thought of it as anointing. Right. The beard oil only came in 
um, like when I started working at United Hatsala. Yeah, and you were growing your beard out. Exactly. And it's interesting. I, I What I find interesting about that story is also how you... I mean, I, I was really moved by that story of Uman, like how you saw that guy and you're like, this is who I'm meant to be, you know? You know, and, and, and can I can I just say on that, I was I was looking at my beard, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and by the way, it sounds like really, really narcissistic, but like... <laughs> you were just staring at I was just staring at my beard <laughs> in the mirror. I usually yeah. take like five, ten minutes just to look in the mirror at my beard. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> No, but I, I happened to be looking at my beard. The reason was, was because I just trimmed my sideburns. Cause basically just a, a quick beard trimming tip. Like if you don't want to look total wild homeless, mm-hmm. you just, you just trim the sideburns mm-hmm. and it makes it much neater got in it. terms of the grooming thing. Like all you got to do is hit the sideburns and the less rest you can leave wild. And the metaphor that came to me is it's sort of like the, the parking lot, um, that you drive your car into before entering into a national forest. Right. That like the sideburns, which is like the part that's trimmed is like the place where the trees have been cut down. Mm. So that's where you pull your car into in terms of civilizations. Like, okay, here's my nod to civilization. I'm trimming my sideburns. But then you drive into the beard and it's this wild forest of growth. And I really think that is where, you know, in terms of all these motifs of like, you know, how a beard makes you more masculine, there is a place that this is a piece of a man's body that you know, and essentially is if left untouched is really kind of wild. And even if it's groomed, it's still representative of like a growth that is, that is not checked. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting. Even relative to hair, like it's more of that, like wildness, like it. Exactly. And, and, and actually for me, like the actual act of growing the beard out was really a process of embodiment, mm-hmm. um, which for me is also what I want Alf male to be about in terms of self care and Jewish men taking care of themselves. By the way, yeah, I'm, I, I just, I'm like, I love all these, by the way, these are my uh, favorite part. Yeah. All, I'm all about transparency. Okay? okay. So like, I'm like, as an, if like I, I am telling my story, like people say I post too much about Alf male. I've been on Facebook since 2007 and all I have ever done is posted like what I'm into. Interesting. Right. It's like, that's really what it's been. And so when my Facebook feed exploded with Alf male, it's because that's what I was into because what I've just been doing is taking people on my journey. Right. And so what I'm doing right now with you is sharing what I'm into and it's like Alf male, Alf male, Alf male. And so I just want you to know that like, if you feel like I'm plugging too much or getting too much into it, like, just take it wherever no. you want to go. So this is what's in- interesting about that is that I, the, we've gone now for half an hour and we've probably spoken 25 minutes about Olive Mail. But what I find the reason that I am like not veering away from it is because to me, so much of what you're saying is like, this is a Jewish creativity podcast, right? But we're not using the word creativity. We're not, I mean, I mean, we're definitely talking about Jewish concepts, but I think or you are at least, and what I find fascinating about this is to me, it sounds like so many other stories of creativity. Like, I mean, what you're doing, I feel to be very creative in this. And, and it's actually why I'm really happy that you, besides obviously that you, it's you, but like that I'm, I'm happy that you came on as a guest for HevriaCast is that um, one of the things we I talk about a lot when it comes to creativity is this idea that it's not limited to art, you know, and that it's this thing... It's like how you look at the world, how you approach the world and all these things. And I, and I tend to reference starting a business as one, as one of those things because I, I worked in startups and, and all that stuff and I could really see it in that world. And 
I think like what you're describing to me, every uh, bit of it is like I could think of a parallel for when I started writing or like for, you know, why I write or all these things. And, and the fact that you have all these inner reasons for it and all these things, and it's not just about the bomb and it's not just about making money and all these things is very clear. And I think that's what it's like to really be truly creative is like you're doing it for the inner work of what you're you know you know on that note going back to Yaakov um one of the most powerful again metaphors of of archetypes of masculinity is the journey and this this relates to what you were saying the journey Yaakov had to go from being a man of of the tents Mm. to being a man of the field right because he had to sleep outside Mm -hmm. right when he was tending Laban's flocks yeah. Right. And he says when he's finally rebuking Laban that I was sleeping in the cold, that I was sleeping in the heat. Right. And that was really when, in a certain sense, he became a man so he could finally confront um, that shadowy figure that he wrestles with all night long. By the way, what was he going back, according to the Midrash, to get hmm. before he wrestled with the angel? The Pachim Katanim of Shemin. You want to translate that for our Sure. Audience? The small jars of oil. Uh-huh. He crossed uh-huh. over the river, he, he, as in he crossed into Eretz Yisrael, crossed back to get these small jars of oil, which the Masora says actually was the oil that was in the miracle of Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And then he went and confronted the angel. But why was he going back to get that oil? So the Chazal also say because he cared about his possessions. Why did he care about possessions? Because his possessions, because he had to earn them, because he had to fight for every little bit that he had. And so much of his journey, so much of Yaakov's journey was this journey from being a man of the tents, which is sort of like somebody who's withdrawn from society, right? And just focusing on spiritual activities and he doesn't want to deal with the world and he doesn't want to deal with BS and he doesn't want to deal with people like his brother, mm-hmm. right? He wants to focus on purity. He wants to focus on Hashem and Hashem is separate from the world, right? And then he goes on this whole journey in which he's like tending sheep. At the same time, he's tending sheep for love, Um, (laughs) but nonetheless, he's tending sheep in relationship to this promise that Hashem made to him that a dream that all this physical stuff that he's dealing with is actually part of of a divine process of maturation. Mm. Right. And so that for me was a very big challenge because as I said, I went to St. John's college, which is the great books program and sort of like an intellectual elitist school, a little bit ivory tower. After that, I graduated and I lived at the Kripalu yoga center for almost a year, you know? And so it's like, I was always in these tiny little intentional communities and it was really these archetypes. Also Shimon Bar Yochai, the story of Shimon Bar Yochai in the cave, how basically, you know, he spent, um, he spent a number of years in the cave, you know, just, um, when he was hiding from the Romans, I believe it was 12 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then when he came out, you know, the whole time he was focusing on God and he came out and he met some guy and the guy said some really mundane thing to him and Shimon Bar Yochai burned him up with his eyes, right? Cause the most important thing is truth. The most important thing is God. What are you talking about this mundane stuff for? I can't relate to you materialistic people, right? And then God said, I didn't, did I, did I bring you here so you could destroy my world? Go back to your cave. So God is saying to Shimon Bar Yochai, actually, no, there's a place for materialism. There's a place for being in the world. And then he comes out and then he sees the guy holding the, the, the myrtle and, um, 
and the two the two visamim, and he says, "What's that for?" He says, "Shamor v'zachor." It's for Shabbos, and then he's like comforted, and he can be in the world again, because because like in terms in terms of that that process of what you were talking about, in terms of like starting a business or creativity, or creativity can be everything, mm. right? Like everything can be creativity. So so like even we see in Yaakov Avinu how like him working for Levan and dealing with all these um, trials and tribulations was actually a creative process that gave birth to Yisrael. Wow. It's really interesting. You know, it's so funny. Um, what was I just, Oh, I was about to, Oh yeah. I was, um, one of the things I like, I, it's, it, it's always fascinating to me to speak with people that live in Israel. Like, um, because especially face to face, because I always it's just so clear what a different experience we have as as uh, Jews in the world, and you know when I'm speak like your this whole discussion reminds me a lot of when I went to Batai and like to visit, and also like any settlement really, and um, or kibbutz, and and these this experience of I mean that's where it's like Israel. The, I always felt it was like the Israel experience most distilled, you know, um, where I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Um, and I think like this idea where in America we tend to, I mean, it's very rare to see, an, especially like a religious Jew for sure, but Jews in general, um, in a rural setting, right? Like they're in the cities or in the suburbs, um, very rarely working with their hands. If they are, it's like, for mechanical things or that sort of that sort of stuff. So um I think one of the things that I've noticed, especially among Bali Chuva, is this experience of like when you visit these places and you see these Jews like working the land and like living, you know, building their <laughs> like you go to a Batai and Bet, they like literally built their own homes out of whatever. Um it's this really like intense experience as a Jew because you start to experience what it was like, you know, in Yaakov, like for Yaakov, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and they always have these stories of like, this is where David was, and this is where this person was, and, and this is where this story happened, and um, where they, wherever they live, they have like a story. It's a very embodied, embodied experience. Right, yeah, that was the word that if you, like, we, when we did that documentary, that was the word that um, Shlomo Weil mm-hmm. always gave us, was like embodied, embodied ones. So it's interesting to hear that. So I think uh, it's fascinating to me, because I, I think that's like, as a Jew, and as a creative Jew, like, you know, we tend to think of very narrowly of who we are. And one of the things that I always loved about Israel was like a reminder that it's much broader than we think it is. You know, I think that's one of the biggest gifts, obviously, besides the actual land that we have of Israel. Like, Yeah, actually, Israel. One, one, of the, one of the things that really challenged me when I made Aliyah was, you know, so, you know, I grew up in, in my little world, mm-hmm. um, which was very much like a counterculture world, you know, after the Kripala Yoga Center, um, I lived in Berkeley, California, I lived in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, I lived in New Paltz, New York, all these like little counterculture towns. And when I came to Israel, I started meeting people who were making Aliyah, who were like stockbrokers, mm-hmm. lawyers, and these were the people who were like part of the system. Mm-hmm. but they're making Aliyah. <laughs> Wait, what's going on here? You know, and, and, and the umbrella concept for that is the in-gathering of the exiles. And the exiles is every type of person, not just my little small um, niche. Wow. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's what's fascinating to me about like Shlomo Weil, for example. He was this guy that he works in finance and all these things. And yet, even in Chicago, actually, he was like, he had chickens in his backyard and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. um, So, Eilat, I want to ask you a question, though. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. Welcome to uh, the Eitan yeah. Press Show. Go so, ahead. So, no, but seriously, though, like, and, and this is sort of like an on-one-foot question, so, you know, if, it, if feel free to edit this out, or... There's no editing. There is this no is editing? No. Okay. Bafka, we're gonna... All right, so then, so then, so then, so then we'll see where this takes us, but, like, <laughs> but basically, no, it's not that crazy a question, but, but at the same time, it's not a, I don't know, we'll see. Um, <laughs> the question is, and I, and really, I want to learn from you. Uh-huh. All right, let's, let's phrase it like this. What does it mean to be a creative Jewish man. Okay, so I have to ask. No, I have to. I'm just so fascinated by why you asked me that question. Because, 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 because what I, imagine I was your son. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, dad, what does it mean to be a man? Okay. But at the same time, I perceive you to be a person whose life is very much about fostering and channeling creativity Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's also connected to masculinity. Mm. So that's why I wanted to ask. So that's why I phrase it the way I did of like, what does it mean to be a creative Jewish man? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think for me, that's a very difficult question because I've never, for better or for worse, I've never thought of it in a gendered way, like creativity mm-hmm. um, or creative, create Jewish creativity. I haven't either. And one of the things I actually... Like, so I'm not, it's, I, I don't know if I'm equipped to answer the question, but I will say what a lot of the things that come to my mind when you ask that question is one of the things I really noticed about being in the creative world, and maybe, I don't think this is just a creative Jewish thing, but I think it's more pronounced in religious communities, um, is that women are much more attuned to creativity, or at least, um, and I don't mean that in a, more natural way. I mean, like it could be society. I don't know exactly what the reason is, but like, I mean, I they do, do create life. They, that's a very good point. <laughs> that's a great point. Wow. All right. Uh, that's great. Um, fair enough. So, so maybe they are. Yeah. And I think, um, but I think it's very interesting to me. And one of the things I also find fascinating is that men, when, even when they, we, we get guest submissions, you know, for Hevria. And one of the things I find fascinating is that it's much harder for men to wrap their minds around the kind of creativity which which we do, which is vulnerable and, uh, you know, honest, quote-unquote, in, in the sense of hopefully they're being honest with themselves at the very least. Can I, can I yeah. interrupt on that note? Sure. I just want to say, in terms of honesty and vulnerability, and I'm ADDing for a second, but it's just <laughs> on top, like... Yeah. It is really, really painful as a man uh-huh. to feel the pressure to be a success object. Oh, okay. Same and in same terms same. of those men who are submitting to Hevria who don't get it, mm-hmm. it's because they've been trained. Right. So that's it's an interesting point. And I, and I wonder, um, I guess, it's interesting because I've always felt like when men are... Uh, when we have those situations and when, and when, and just in general, in my work and what I do, my goal, a lot of times I feel like, and this, maybe I'm using the wrong phraseology maybe it's just based off of experience and observation, uh, is that very often I'm trying to feminize men. And I mean that in a, the most 
positive way. I can mean that about like about um, about femininity in the sense that I feel like, and again, maybe I'm talking societally, the societal definitions, like you're talking about the success object thing, but this idea that the willingness to be open and to cry and all these things like you were discussing earlier is um, something that I think men aren't trained in. So so actually on that note, the most powerful Jewish sacred masculine archetype of that is really David HaMelech. And, Mm -hmm. And this to me is what's so significant, like in terms of, I would say connecting men to their inner world, mm-hmm. right? Because generally, you know, David Amelech, I mean, how many songs, how many thousands upon thousands of pages have been written about David Amelech, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, David Amelech wept. David Amelech cried. Mm-hmm. David Amelech danced. He wrote poetry. Right? David Amelech wrote poetry. So, so the ultimate symbol of Jewish masculinity within our, you know, our... Um, our, I don't know what you want to call it, pantheon, for lack of a better word, right, um, is David Amelech, and here's a man who is crying. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So for you, it's not, like, like for me, I think of it as a gendered thing, but you're saying... It's actually a masculine thing. Actually, what I would say is it's a human thing. Okay. I, w- I would say that that men are trained to numb their emotions from from a young age. It's considered a sign of weakness to cry. You know, from a, it's like, and there's so much pressure to know and be in control and always catch the ball and always hit a home run. Right. You know, or 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 whatever it is, so that you can't be like, wow, I really don't know. Wow, I'm so confused. I, I don't know the answer to the question. Right. I, right. I, I don't know what to do. Right. I'm scared right now. That's really interesting. Um, but at the same time, on that note, in terms of David and Malik, just on the, on, the, yeah, uh, on, the, on the archetype of David and Malik, to me, one of the most poignant examples of that is that when Shaul HaMelech, um, before David goes out to confront Goliath, right? This is when David sort of um, first comes on the scene. He's already been anointed mm-hmm. by Shmuel Anavi. Shmuel Anavi has already anointed, poured oil on him, on his head and his beard. He had a red beard. Um, <laughs> okay. Although this story is when he was a boy. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. but he was still anointed. Um, but he went um, and, and Shaul put his armor on him. Uh-huh. So what is armor? It's defense mechanisms. Mm. The world is a scary place and we need defense mechanisms to protect ourselves from the big bad world. And what's the big bad world? It's Goliath and all the army of the Philistines. And what does David Melch do? He's wearing the armor and he says, this doesn't fit me. This isn't who I am. He says, I have faith in Hashem. You know, Hashem protected me when I was a shepherd and helped me protect my sheep. And Hashem's going to protect me now. And he took off the armor and he was just wearing his tunic when he went to confront Goliath. So what is that? That is the power of vulnerability and vulnerability in relationship to faith. That the reason I can be vulnerable is because the foundation of the world is not power. Right. I mean, you know what is so interesting about that? Sorry. You were yeah, about no, no, to, go no, ahead. Is that this, it, what I love about that image is that to me it perfectly shows how vulnerability is much stronger than defense mechanisms because 
So, like, if you imagine David and Melech going out there without armor, if you think about that in, like, a movie, like, if that was a movie, he would be, like, the manliest man going out there and not needing armor. I mean, obviously, so much of it is a story with his connection to Hashem and all these things. But the idea also just of the image of it, of a guy being strong enough Mm -hmm. to go out there and allow himself to be literally vulnerable. Um is is in my mind a very masculine image, right? Um, yeah, and at least in the way we discuss it traditionally. So I think, um, so it's very interesting to think about it that way because I think one of the hardest messages I've, I've, I've felt I've been trying to give across to people is that vulnerability is strong. Is all right, Eilat, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, all right, go ahead. What is your message to Jewish men? <laughs> My one message, as in if you, I as have in, lots of messages. That's no, the but biggest as in, problem you said, in you life. said like part of what you're trying to do is, t- is in a certain sense, teach men about feminine qualities, right? Right. You, taking what you said and changing a little bit, but like, what <laughs> what is your message to Jewish men? As in, you're a creator, you're you're a voice, right? I mean, you and I have been having this conversation on social media for years now, in a certain sense, back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a lot to say, so like, yeah. Yeah, it's just, again, it's so interesting because I tend to not think of it in gender terms, but then obviously I do as well. Um, I think... What do you think is the healing that needs to happen for Jewish men? I think I think it's this combination of honesty and vulnerability and willing to confront yourself. Like, I think that um, people in general, for sure, but men, for sure, have trouble confronting themselves. And I think the biggest difficulties we have in our societies um, is that we, so much of it, we don't realize how much of it is personal. Like when we, one of the things that's really interesting to me now that I've got into like politics more is that I realized how much, when someone's talking about, um, it could be anything, but let's say like healthcare, they're talking about these things. We don't realize how much is going in their minds and they don't often realize, I think, especially if they're men, realize how much of their personal feelings are going into it. And so when we see these angry debates on Facebook and we see this and that, people tend to dismiss them. Um, And in my mind, I think it's a symptom of something that's going on much deeper, which is an inability to be honest with yourself about why you're really angry. Why Why am I allowing myself to go off like this online? Why am I allowing myself to be so angry? Why, why am I so angry in the first place? You know, so actually, on, on that yeah. note, um, Simcha Frischling, who um, started Call of the Shofar, which was a, a, a Jewish men's circle. Um, I, the not, way, on, not controversial at all. Not controversial <laughs> at all. Listen, I knew him back in the day in like 2000 before everything went down. And I learned so many, so many amazing, right. powerful things from him. And, and he's specifically he, controversial in Chabad, not in general. Yeah. Right? And, and he's one of the most, in terms of like being facilitated and facilitating men, like part of what happens in men's work is exactly what you're talking about, about peeling the layers about instead of men being fine, mm-hmm. you know, which often stands for feelings inside, not expressed. Like, how <laughs> is the movie fine? How is the funeral fine? How is Yom Kippur fine? Like everything is fine, right? But it's really numb. It's this flat line, right? So it's like part of what men's work about is about is actually peeling back that layer of, well, actually, no, I'm not fine. Mm. I'm filled with joy. (laughs) 
or I'm filled with the deepest sorrow mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is that's going on under that surface when we stop being fine. Right. But, but one of the things that Simcoe officially said was it's not the issue. It's the issue with the issue. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't call me back. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm so upset. Right. So is the issue, is, is it the issue? Is it that someone didn't call me back? Is that what I'm upset about? Or is it that I desperately want to be loved? Or is that I feel like no matter what I do, I'm not good enough. And now that this person didn't call me back once again, I feel like I'm not good enough. Right? What's, what's going on underneath? It's not the issue. It's the issue with the issue. And actually, in so many ways, even though it's just a beard bomb, this is what I want Aleph Male. Ooh, as, circling back. I love a, it. As, as a Jewish lifestyle brand to be about is to really connect to Jewish men. Again, this is, listen, this is branding. This is what I've been doing for years. So there's, there's the brand and the culture around the brand. And there is a Jewish culture around the beard. Mm. And around masculinity. And what I want Aleph male to do is to start bringing that conversation to the fore in terms of the question of what does it mean to be a Jewish man? Wow. That's really interesting. Um, I love that. I love that. It's, uh, you know, I just wanted to, I'm kind of being tangential for a second, but when, before we recorded, you were talking about um, a... Like I guess it's like a, a critique of my mm-hmm. work recently was that you not were, recently for like the past three years or past something. Past three years, let's say the past three years. So it was <laughs> that it's much darker than it is light. Right? I don't even. I yeah, but wait, much but, more focused. Yeah, when light. I say I mean, when I say dark, I don't mean that there's anything. There's two contexts in which we're using the term dark right, here. No, One no. is that the subject matter is dark, mm-hmm. right? Two, dark in the sense of the contrast between darkness and light in terms of the Jewish people, in terms of Am Yisrael, in terms of what is our, or in men's work, the term is shadow and gold, Mm -hmm. right? Our gold is what we're offering to the world that's beautiful and building and blessing. And then our shadow is what's showing up in the world that is um, creating destruction. Mm Mm-hmm. And everything, everybody is a mixture of shadow and gold. And so my critique is because I've been following your freaking content since 2008, right? Like, I mean, I, I remember your articles, you know, so it's like there's been a big swing from sort of, and it really it's your own evolution from like the Balchuva Rara content, like of the way early days of Pap Chassid mm-hmm. into, yeah. into a much more... Um, nuanced, insider, raw, painful, bloody um, content, right? Um, But is nonetheless incredibly important because it's like lancing the wound and the pus is coming out of all these dysfunctional things that when a person first becomes they're like, the Jewish people are this small secret nation that's filling the world with light, you know? And it's just like, and all you have to do is follow the Torah and everything will be okay. You know? And it's just like, no, you know? And so that's, and so, and so that's where the, the service that I see of what you're doing is bursting that bubble and forcing people, whether they like it or not, to have to deal with the dysfunctionality that's happening in the Jewish community. But at the same time, in terms of social media and in terms of the fact that the negative is so easily spread more than the positive, that it's like, we still need to make sure that that positivity is coming out because often it can, that the negativity can destroy the positivity. It's interesting because I think, 
I was actually, when we were talking, I didn't want to like sidetrack it, but at the time we were talking about like, I, I, I publish about beer bum because like, this is what's going on. This is what I'm excited about now. Right. And so ironically, I think that what people tend to not understand, I'm not saying that you don't understand it, but, um, but when I hear this, I, I hear this critique, obviously, a good amount of the time. I know, I wanted to say Especially it. from Hasidim, especially from Chabadniks, um, especially since I stopped being Chabad. Um, but I've, I've heard it a lot. And I think, and I'm not, so I don't mean to say that every critique is the same, but I'm, but I do think the reason that I decided to come back to it is because something you said, the thing you said about Beardbomb was actually something that I tend to look at when it comes to creativity and vulnerability and all these things and what I'm doing in the world and all this stuff is that um, there's no question there's like a certain activist quality to some of this stuff that I do. Um, I tend to think it has a lot more to do with the projects that I do, like Neshamas is like a project where I'm trying to push people to experience negativity, the constant flow of negativity and kind of, I mean, what I think is like the Me Too campaign was is kind of that experience of now we're experiencing all this negativity. It happens to be incredibly empowering as well for the people. But anyway, but my point being that when it comes to my personal writing and the stuff that I do, when I was writing about the positive stuff and the rah-rah stuff and the stuff that I'm doing now, it's like, to me, I actually don't see that much of a difference between the two. And the reason being, except for the fact that hopefully I've grown in how much I'm willing to be vulnerable and how much I think... Yeah, dude, you've told some crazy stories. <laughs> right, no, but I'm saying also in how I tell those stories, you know. And so the, the interesting question, and I don't mean to say that I'm beyond this discussion of negative and positive, but I do think that when we live in that duality, it becomes a problem because... Um, and that's why I tend to be maybe more dismissive than I should, but I am to a certain extent dismissive of these criticisms because I think that we, that to me, what I'm experiencing, like people don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes, but when I'm writing these things, to me, every time I write it, I feel the same surge of uh, empowerment and truth and whatever that I did when I was writing quote-unquote positive articles. Why? Because each time what I was doing was addressing something that was really deeply affecting me. And, and unfortunately, for the last three years, uh, there was a lot of negativity that I was experiencing in my life. And I think that for better or for worse, um, I think artists, creatives, people are create, creative, people are being honest and all these things, you know, they have to reflect what they're experiencing. And there's no question we have to find the light in it, right? Like, I mean, that's what you were talking about earlier. But I think, to me, I, I one of the biggest frustrations I have is that people look at things in positive and negative as opposed to real or not real, vulnerable, not vulnerable, productive. Like, that was actually an interesting discussion we had in Hevria because we started off saying we're a positive publication. And then we started having pieces about abuse. And we're like, wait, this isn't positive, but it's important. So how do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. And so we had a discussion as a group and we're like, you know what? We should start using the word productive as opposed to positive because mm-hmm. we want to build. We don't want to destroy, but that often means being, you know, talking about actually, dark things. A- actually within, within um, masculine archetypes of the, the king, the warrior, the magician and the lover, which are the uh, union archetypes that a lot of men's work is based on um, the warrior 
mm-hmm. archetype is associated with destruction for the sake of life. Mm. That, that, that a warrior, when he is in balance, uses the force of destruction. And this is why it's like sort of like a masculine archetype of that, like, I want to break stuff, <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of ways you can channel that energy, but there's an idea that you can channel that energy in the service of life and right. destroy that which needs to be brought down for something greater and more good um, to arise in its place. Right. And I think the danger, there's clearly a danger to that, that we can start to be like anything, everything is like, I always look at the danger tends to be idol worship. Like when we start to think that all that matters is the fighting you, and you see that in the, in the world so much, like, um, can and, I tell you the weirdest thing on that note of seeing that fighting? Go ahead. It's just not spiritual. Right. Like right. it's, an, it's, it's people who, who want justice want, but there's so much fear it's interesting. I, you know, what's actually fascinating about that is that I've gained an appreciation for how spiritual it is. Like I used to think also that it was completely not spiritual. And then, and I'm not going to disagree at all, like in the sense that for sure, I don't think that overtly people are thinking of spirituality. Um, but I remember going to this protest uh, after Charlottesville um, and it was supposed to be a protest, I think about Russia, <laughs> who even knows at this point, but it was a pro- it was a protest, it was supposed to be a protest about something else, pretty sure Russia, and because Charlottesville just happened, ended up becoming this like anti-racism, et cetera, et cetera, rally, and, <clears throat> and I wrote a whole piece about it, but I, I don't know if you read it, but it was about how I danced like at this rally, mm-hmm. and so what was interesting was I happened to stand around I happened to be like this. I happened to be standing towards the front because I came earlier than others. And, and all of a sudden this drummer came up behind me and then, um, another drummer mm-hmm. and then like a trumpet player. And then, and because they just started, like they heard each other and it was like the loudest thing in this, this rally, which had thousands of people there. Um, and then they moved us across. Anyway, eventually it turned into like this group of dancers, um, that were, that were dancing, but it was like, you could feel that the energy of this protest, and I'm not saying every protest is like this at all, but this protest happened to be like that, was that you could feel that it was um, being affected by the music very deeply. It was a very, it was for, for having so many people, you, you see the power of music because it was affecting all these people in the middle, Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower. It was just shaking the whole, um, the whole area. And, and it was centered again, like I was saying, around there and where the people were dancing and, and all this stuff. And I remember at the end of the, like, there was it was just kind of like agreed upon somehow organically that this was like the end of the music playing. Um, they stopped and like it felt I don't know I was in the center of it, so it was hard to know, but I felt like the whole crowd let out this like, you know, was it from. Uh, I forgot that poet, which poet, um, but that Blake maybe, that barbaric yop. Oh, the barbaric yop. So it, it, was, it wasn't like a cheer. It was like a, a scream of like pain and, and, and empowerment at the same time, that sort of thing. And I remember, like, I remember thinking, I was like, wow, this is the potential for these things to be spiritual in a sense. And mm-hmm. why I also think... Like, why is it Martin Luther King, you know, and we think of like a lot of the leaders tend to be religious, like that, that really affected us as a nation, like affect us culturally, 
were religious, like these civil rights leaders, you know. And not only that, they were overtly religious. Their civil rights was tied in. And actually, and and, and I think the big argument now that people are making is that by it becoming less religious, it's really hurting their cause, right? Um, but I think that just that experience made me appreciate how much latent spirituality is, exist, exists in that world. Mm, in every you know? single human being. Right, of course. But that's the tragedy. So to you, right, interesting. Meaning that like the the world is starving to connect both men and women to their inner world. Like especially in like first world um, mainstream culture, it's so deeply rooted in consumerism and like the next form of gratification that a person is supposed to run after and the reservoirs of their soul, of their inner world, of of their psyche and their dreams is too often utterly ignored. It's just painful. I'm sorry to, um, it's, it, to me, it's like, it's painful to think about it because all of these people have all these treasures inside of them. Yeah. It's a very good, it's a very good question. Like, how do we, how do we hold that reality? Like, cause I think they're both. They're both true. Olive Mail. Olive Mail. <laughs> no, but yeah. No, I'm saying how do we, I'm saying not, not just how do we ourselves like look at, at, at Masco. I'm saying how do we hold the reality that people aren't where we wish they would be like spiritually, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. I, 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 think, I, think, I think unconditional love is the best way to go mm. in my experience because judging others for not being connected or whatever it is. In, in my experience, doesn't take me to the, to the intellectual mental neighborhood that I want to be hanging out in. <laughs> I love that. Okay. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, you know what? We're an hour and four minutes in, so okay. we did it. it okay, so awesome. can, can we close out? Oh, right. Wait, first of all, how do people find out about Aleph Mail? All right, so there's the website, www.alephmail.com. There's our Facebook group, at Aleph Mail. There's Instagram, at Aleph Mail, A-L-E-P-H-M-A-L-E. Um, or, yeah, you can Facebook me, PM me. Um, we're hooked up on social media, and we love to talk. And, <laughs> Clearly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and... Um, and there's, there's, in case I didn't say before, there's, yeah, there's four, there's the four blends, Sukkot, Havdalah, Boker Tov, and Cedar, and then Yesod. Um, but it's about so much more than the beard. It's the Jewish story of the beard. And uh, you've been listening to uh, Havria podcast with Elad. It's Havria cast. Havria cast <laughs> with Elad Norai, who is, uh, who is, is a, a male midwife <laughs> for, for creativity in the world. Wow. That was like the best description and compliment ever. Thank you. Um, okay. So are we going to do Wait, our... is it okay that I did that? Is that it right? It's great. Okay. It's beautiful. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I no. didn't mean to end, uh, like interrupt your ending. No, 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 no. Oh, As in, I, I don't, I don't want to take your, you're, you're the, you're, you're the ball by it. So I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> you're the guest. I mean, that's more important. So, but, but we, I, I just remember we said we were going to do the, the mm-hmm. Shalom thing before okay, let's, we go. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's do it. Okay, so this is something that um, you know I picked up uh, when I was after I graduated from college at the Kripalu Yoga Center. Um, I was like the Jew of Kripalu, and so um, when everybody else was oming, I was shaloming. And so all of you listeners out there, we're going to all do this together. <laughs> Whether you're hearing this in the past or the present or the future, right? Um, listen to the sound of my voice, 
and feel your feet on the floor. If they're not there, put your feet on the floor, feel your sits bones on the chair, and just take in a deep breath and let it out. And let's do another. And the power of the breath is it's the, it's the bridge between the head and the heart. So just take in another deep breath and let out any stress through the exhale. And now we're going to take in another deep inhale and we're going to exhale shalom. And I invite you, challenge you to join me and Elad in this uh, chanting of the Hebrew word for peace and to extend it out to all of the universe and back to yourself. So big inhale. Shalom. And let's do another. Shalom. And one more. Shalom. Thank you so much, Eitan. Thank you, Elad. It's good to have you, brother. It's good to be here, man. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Elad Neharai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivria.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again.